Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Welcome to this week's episode of The Secret Life of Cookies. I'm joined by New York Times bestselling author, former host of Studio 360, and the guy I know as my former boss at Spy Magazine, Kurt Anderson. We discuss a couple of things, including where patriotism came from, and also how the leap from 17th century Puritan Anne Hutchinson to rabble rouser Marjorie Taylor Greene is but a tiny step. And then... Kurt makes a perfect Negroni, and I start eating gin-soaked raisins. Warning, this episode is for mayonnaise lovers only. Welcome, Mr. Kurt Anderson, to my kitchen, where I have never you've never been before, but I could tell you it's delicious because it smells like old eggs right now. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. I do know you from my distant past. Um, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't feel so time. distant, though, does it? Does it really feel distant? I not, don't know. Not to me. I mean, despite the fact that I'm a, you know, slipper wearing suburbanite at this point, it does, you know, when I met you, I was wearing trendy shoes or something way back at Spy. But here you've had a, a, a very illustrious path to my kitchen, I think basically is really what I want to say. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, um, I, I'm happy to be here. This is what my journey has been all about. <laughs> really, and and now I'm at one of the destinations. One of, and you're not the first person to say that, but you do have another. You do have a distinction, which it's is, not. you are the first male of the species to be on my podcast. Well, that makes me very happy and proud. <laughs> um, it makes me. It makes me happy. No one better than you, I have to say. Um, do you mind if I objectify you as a man? No, I don't. Uh, I don't. Okay. I mean, and by the way, you know. I learned before the last few years, but certainly the last few years taught me the lesson uh, in spades that like, I can't object to anything that uh, <laughs> about, you know, being, being a man, in addition to all the other, uh, you know, oppressor yeah. boxes that I can take off, um, you know, I, yeah, no, it's good. And I know I don't, and, and I'm, and I'm happy because, uh, you know, I've always hated the, I've always hated the word metrosexual from whenever it was invented, mm -hmm. but I have always, uh, felt, uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't, as a child, even fulfill my, the most many gender expectations. So objectify me, baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, that's, I, I, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah. I think that like certain men haven't quite gotten the message and many have not. I even like looking at uh, Governor Cuomo's ap apology um, did everyone hear my air quotes apology for his uh, misdeeds you know he just didn't know better sort of commentary it's it's interesting that people still think of that as an excuse in 2021 yeah i yes. mean it would have been surprising in early 2017 but certainly since late 2017 <laughs> come on dude <laughs> really not at least get someone better to write your apologies for you yeah um with all due respect to all of those who have written for him that we may or may not know. Um, you uh, are here in my kitchen in the afternoon. You, um, I'd like to take on a, a, the subject of delusional thinking, thanks to you. Um, your book, which came out in 2017, <clears throat> but to me is even more relevant today than it was in, 
when it came out, um, is important. I want to talk about delusional thinking in America. And I also want to talk about delusional thinking because food is very important here among certain people. And I don't, I think you're not one of them that they're delusional people who think that mayonnaise is not a worthwhile food. Well, you know, I saw, because we're looking at each other through the miracle of video, um, uh, that jar of Hellman's real mayonnaise on, yes. on uh, uh, <laughs> your counter. And uh, no, I, I, not only am I fine with mayonnaise, as, as mayonnaise has been a, become a contentious subject in, in the social media age, I, I have become a kind of, uh, not that I've entered the social media discourse about mayonnaise, but, but I feel strongly that I, I, I love mayonnaise and, and I'm not gonna hide it. Uh, you know, I, I really think uh, th there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it used to have this, you know, and, and ha, that's certainly fine. When, when it was, when it was, oh, look, it's, it's, it's wasps, it's white people, it's, it's <laughs> suburbanites, it's, it's all that, fine, cool. I, I never objected to that at all. But when people earnestly and seriously say it's bad, <laughs> what? It's the greatest. It's like, it's like almost, I mean, I don't know. I can't even think of a better standard processed condiment slash food ingredient. I would say that there wasn't. And I would even say after months and months of professional cooking experience and degrees and things, I like jarred mayonnaise. I mean, yeah. there's a work, I mean, I could whip you up a lovely aioli, but from the finest olive oil. But even James Beard believed that um, there was a place in the world for jarred mayonnaise, as long as it's Hellman's or maybe Duke's, if you want to be very trendy about it. And there are QP people out there, but there cannot be no, cannot be any Miracle Whip or Kraft. No, certainly not. And and I don't mind. I, I recently had uh, we've had some something called Kensington's or Sir Kensington's or something, yes. various flavored mayonnaise ish things, and they're fine. But like, in terms of a thing that was around when we were kids before good food existed, you know, before right. food snobbery really was, had taken off. Here's a thing that's the same as it was then, and it was good then, and it was good now, as opposed to so much of what was standard then, which is awful and crappy and bad, this was good then and good now. Um, by the way, just in terms of other potential mayonnaise derivatives, since we're talking about mm. spreads, turkeys, are you, a, are you familiar with turkeys? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, yes. I, 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 I don't go to the extent of finding, you know, the special little grocery store in, you know, Albuquerque where you have to go to buy it. But I do and did have always loved turkeys as well. And turkeys is to me an, an oldie timey food as well as including this one here, which is actually silver palette, but it should be um, a cross and blackwell chutney. Mm, you know, yeah, like yeah. the the condiments of the refrigerator that I grew up with. Well, exactly. You know? well, that's another. I mean, well, but because you're younger, and so the foods, food, you know, uh, uh, gourmet food and food snobbery of all kinds had had begun. It had barely begun when I was like just leaving the house. You know, my my parents started, you know, being serious cooks when I was 15, 16, 17. But you, you youngster, uh, it was all it was happening when you were a kid. It was, but my parent, my, you know, my brother and you are probably about the same age and give or about. take and the same, the same condiments, same fridge. In fact, they may actually have been 
the same condiments considering huh. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> these uh, today i'm going to make the most versatile thing that could ever be made with mayonnaise which is and just to prove just how fantastic mayonnaise is and since it's cocktail hour mayonnaise parmesan cheese chopped up artichoke hearts i mix it up i broil it up i make it into a delicious dip that you could use ruffles potato chips with or spread it on a lovely piece of toast. Here, people, do you hear the ASMR? Yes. Mm -hmm. what, is, what, is, what does ASMR mean? <laughs> the sound, like with the sounds of people eating or chewing. Oh. Their whole people will oh. go on there, um, you know, and like bite into pickles and then like uh -huh. upload this. You know what sound. I already realized just seeing these ingredients and hearing you describe what you're going to do? It's mm -hmm. like, um, I, I'm already, my mouth is literally watering and I'm already <laughs> feeling uh, deprived and unhappy that I'm not going to be able to eat that because of course we're, uh, you know, 150 miles away from each other. <laughs> it is the um, drawback of a podcast uh, that talks and makes food, but yeah. you know. Um, it's like porn, right? It's like- It's totally. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not real, but it's, it's kind of exciting to see, you know. Can you see this when my hand nervously lifts the wobbly mayonnaise to the yes. camera? In, in, <laughs> yes, in the, in the bowl of, of uh, Parmesan. And I've learned at, during my radio career, I learned always to describe excessively things that you're seeing because of course the listeners at home aren't seeing it. They aren't seeing it. They ha aren't seeing that I ground up the um, Parmesan, which is a lovely straw color um, in, in my Cuisinart so that I would have little nuggets of it instead of shavy bits. Oh, interesting, um, interesting. Yeah. Is that bad? And, because, because you just like the mouthfeel of chunks? Um, I like the mouthfeel. I, I like the way chunkage goes into meltage. You get a much nicer mouth. Oh, cause you're gonna, cause you're gonna heat this up. This is gonna get all heated up till it boils. And then it's just a, can you hear that sound? The sound now, those of- are, Those are the, artichokes? Those are artichoke hearts that I've drained the liquid off of and chopped them up as well. Normally you just do it all in the Cuisinart, but then it just doesn't make it as much fun to make it while you're doing a podcast. It is squidgy. It is kind of a disgusting color, that sort of light pistachio green. Um, but she said licking her fingers. Um, and there's one garlic clove in here. I can put it on toast. Minced, chopped, I can. garlic? Minced, yep, minced garlic. I have a question about artichoke yeah. hearts. Did you? I mean, not to not to bust you if this is embarrassing, but uh -huh. did you get those out of a out of a can or a jar, or did you cook the artichokes? This whole thing. If we're using jarred mayonnaise, I am using canned artichoke hearts. Gotcha. Okay. Good. Okay. It's a beautiful staple that you can have, and uh, in your pandemic cupboard. And 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 another thing, one of the one of the rare, relatively rare things that is just as good that way than if you've taken, you know, a half an hour to, you know, waste an artichoke and cut its heart out. Right. And also I wouldn't have taken a half an hour. I would have taken like three hours and it would have been a pain. And then this way I just opened up a can and I drained it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super simple. Yep. The other thing that's really nice. I can now toss this with pasta. I can spread it on bread. I can broil it. I can smear it all over chicken and bake it in the oven. Mm. I can do anything with this. You're making me hungry. Sorry. In, in, in that porn-like way. But, um, <laughs> porn -like way. But, but really, you'd put that on hot pasta? Hot pasta. It's wonderful. Uh -huh. Just in uh -huh. the way that you'd cook, you, you don't cook it. You just sort of heat it up that way. It's lovely. Huh. But you, uh, 
grew up, you said your parents got to be good cooks as you were leaving, but what kind of like, all of this seems to me like canopy food. That's what like, you know, all these condiments went into, I can see my father, you know, before a party spreading butter diligently on bread and putting little pieces of smoked whatever, and then a little hmm, on top, you know, I don't think there was really, I mean, most people call it a garnish, but I think in my family it was called a and there was a little bit of a roasted red pepper or a caper or a so elaborate. Did your parents give elaborate cocktail parties? They, they, and did, they, I mean, what kind of canapes would they serve? How much, how, how much did they entertain? Are you asking me? Um, they didn't entertain <laughs> that much. They did some. And I remember as a little kid, of course, uh, as many of us little kids did uh, remember, I think, when they would have a big part, big, noisy, smoky, boozy party. It was so yeah. exciting to be upstairs and smell it and listen to it. And then come downstairs, waking up as a child normally does and they're kind of hung over and seeing all the trash and, and, and cigarettes. <laughs> Ooh, I loved everything about them. They didn't happen that often. And so they, they, were, they were sociable people and people came over and had drinks. My mother was you know, more, more, a little bit more uh, Gertrude Stein than June Cleaver. So she didn't make a lot of <laughs> elaborate uh, um, uh, canapes and, and passing food and stuff. But, you know, I mean, there was, you know, they would buy, you know, the, the pre, the little, the little, the miniature Pepperidge farm breads and have cheese and whatnot for them. And yeah, I mean, so, but, but what, actually to to make to even do as much i guess they probably made a dip she probably made dips like not with artichoke hearts but onion soup and some and sour cream or some such you know mm -hmm. uh, for the fritos <laughs> so you had wow okay well i was looking through this gourmet cookbook from like the 1950s and the detailed canapes. I mean, mind you, it was Gourmet Magazine, even in the 1950s, but people were, they were being told to make ruffles of butter around the edges of bread. And it, I also made this other classic canapé thing, which I'm surprised both of my cats aren't right here in the middle of it. What is that? Which is a very, it looks like wood putty. That's yeah. the color. But it really is, uh, it's um, butter, anchovy butter. Hmm. I think 74% of the canapes in 1953's Gourmet Magazine cookbook were made with anchovy butter. Really? That's including a, a thin slice of ham that you smeared with anchovy butter, put a thin slice of veal roast, because <laughs> that was the other thing you probably had in your fridge. Yeah. <laughs> you soaked that in um, ice cold sherry for 15 minutes. This is the direction. Then an egg wash then breadcrumbs, and then you deep fried it for your guests. Well, no wonder Betty Friedan like, had enough of that in 1963, you know? <laughs> You're right. Um, speaking of, um, of uh, you just made me remember a thing. It wasn't exactly serving for guests, but serving to himself and me and the family. My father was a huge sardine lover. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that was, you know, it wasn't exotic and he loved him and he ate him a lot. And, and I, you know, and, and, uh, but to me, it was as a little kid, it was kind of like, you know, I might as well be in Paris. There was something so elegant about a tin with these silver fish in it, right? Well, and even and the, 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 was, the key you used to oh, open it, you know? The key was so elegant, right? This really was, it was like a little treasure, except it turned out to be sardines inside, which is really not something 
I have ever jived with. Well, I, I wouldn't think I did. And, and, but then, you know, you put that on a saltine and it was fine with me. And it was a thing I was doing with my dad, you know, again, to the whole gender thing, like we never threw a ball around. Uh, we never, you know, he did, he was, a, he had been a big jock. I was not. And so he never forced me that instead we ate sardines together and, uh, and, and, and things like that, you know? And it made you the man you are today. Well, Were you it, a big, like, <clears throat> Did you cook a lot as a kid? I did cook like, an extreme amount. My, my grandmother, his, my father's mother, who grew up in this little town. I grew up in Omaha. She, he grew up in a little town where my grandmother and grandfather lived as I was growing up. She was like, you know, a, a kind of Norman Rockwell granny, grand, rural grandma. Mm -hmm. She was wonderful. And she taught me to cook. I would go out there and stay with her for weekends. And she taught me to cook and, and like fairly complicated things. And I remember the first thing was, these cinnamon rolls and now cinnamon rolls for a six, five or six year old, whatever I was pretty complicated. And, and uh, definitely with the whole, you know, sugary sauce and the raisins and the rolling it was. And, and so I then came home and could do this. And it was like, like I, it was like a trick I could do, you know, to, to impress my family and their friends. And so I became a cook and you get encouraged and like, Hey, look, this little kid can cook. So I, I did it and I would make dinners and, 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 you know, uh, relative for, for a six-year-old, really ambitious uh, meals. So yeah, I cooked a lot. As cinnamon rolls are not easy. They're no. complicated and they take time. Yes, did she it, make pie? She, yes, she made pie and she made some of the best cookies. She made, <laughs> she made these incredibly thin, perfect cookies. Th these aren't like, you know, a, cookies a lady in Valley, Nebraska, man. These, these are like some premium, super fine cookies of ginger cookies and sugar cookies. Anyway, yes, she made cookies. Uh, she made she made everything, but but it was the, the cinnamon rolls, which again, I was happy to have learned how to do and they were great. But in retrospect, like, wow, this little boy making cinnamon rolls is kind of amazing. And it was kind of in terms of my then food life, my life as a cook, you know, to start hard, it would be kind of thrown into the deep end of cooking was probably a good thing. And did you, when I knew you in the old- There's an days, animal in your, um, in your kitchen, on your, near your food. <laughs> I'm telling. She, he, he smelled, I think everybody knows now. He smelled this. It's probably really good for his hairballs. He's a very furry cat. Um, it's Clyde, by the way, in case anybody wants to know. Um, you uh, have always been a good cook in my mind, though. Are you still cooking? I mean, like, did the pandemic keep you as a good cook? Or were you like, screw it, uh, I'm just going to eat cereal? Long like I before the pandemic, I, we did this strange thing in my household. I, I was, Anne had, and my wife, Anne, uh, who, with whom you also worked at Spy Magazine, Anne Kramer, that is, mm -hmm. uh, had, had never, had didn't grow up cooking. And, and, uh, and so we got together, uh, you know, and, and I was the cook. And, and I from 1977 when we met until 2002, <laughs> three, something like that, uh, uh, I cooked. So, you know, when the children at that point, our children were, you know, 12, 13. So I, I, I yes, I, I was a pretty good cook, not an amazing cook, but a good cook and, a, and, a, and an experimental improvisational cook, you know, and uh, had done it and it cooked all our meals. She, she of course, bought, did all the grocery shopping and sort of menu shaping and stuff. But but yeah, I was the cook. And then I was trying to finish a book and uh, she wasn't busy. And she said, hey, you want me to cook while you're finishing the book? And I said, yeah, great, thank you, darling. 
and 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 we at that moment we we it was trading places we we she she cooked ever since so you know uh it was weird that that happened but it did and uh so uh the the i i my pandemic has not consisted of lots and lots and lots of home cooking our our pandemic has certainly consisted of lots and lots of home cooking because for the obvious reasons you don't go to restaurants and half of our life in new york city is spent going to restaurants but uh so uh but 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 you know her, her i will say Anne was 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 had become a good cook he said patronizingly <laughs> but um uh i mean during this time together this 24 7 year long time together she's my equal or better now so and and it's practically you know now we have probably done it you know in equivalent fractions of our lives. So no, the, the thing about the pandemic and food, I mean, we, we uh, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I might, my whole, I, I have discovered, I already knew that I was a kind of, could be worse, not exactly glass half full, cause that sounds too chipper, but kind of could be worse about, about life and certainly about pandemic. Cause you know, here I am alive talking to you. Exactly. <laughs> See, that is the glass half full. Um, my glass is half full of gin here. Oh. I made gin soaked raisins last week because I'd heard about this 109 year old woman in New Jersey right. who kept herself alive, she said, right. with not, nine raisins in just soaked in gin every day. Have you? I, I read that. And, and, and as soon as you said it, I thought like, why have I just heard about gin soaked raisins? But of course, you we heard about it <laughs> in the same place. Have you tasted them yet? No, I'm going to huh. do it now. They're really okay. super, super plump, like little... They're very strong. Oh my God. I think if I had to eat nine of those every morning, the world would be a much different place. Wow. That is something. But give me, what is it? Really? Good? It's super, it's the first bite is super sweet. And you're like, I love raisins. They're sugary. And then the alcohol goes straight to the back of your throat and up your nose. And you realize that you're eating, you're eating alcohol. Yeah. There's so it's a complete physical experience. Sounds great. I when that I, when really I, wakes you up though. I, yeah, yeah. But nine would be a lot. Nine would be a tremendous amount um, for seven thirty in the morning. I mean, yeah. if you were to make me a gin martini right now and drop a few of those in there, lovely. Well, have that at the end. Look, it right off. Look, I have a <laughs> bottle of gin. What I do have, you have. I have in fact two bottles of gin here. I have both the. The, the Bombay Sapphire bottle. They're both mostly empty, which is why I took them out. They're almost entirely empty. So I thought <laughs> if I was actually gonna make a drink, I might need both of them. Um, and this and this uh, chunky little uh, Hendrix. Hendrix bottle. That does sound kind of empty, but there they are. One is that beautiful Sapphire blue, light Sapphire, almost an aquamarine really. And then the deep Hendrix. I started talking about gin last week with uh, Lori Garrett and we talked the uh, epidemiological expert. And we talked about, we went from talking about how dire um, the pandemic is and can become um, with our new strains to talking about keeping ourselves safe so that we can all get together and start drinking gin in person together. Yeah. Like if you need a reason to wear a mask, it's because you'd like to be drinking pe with people soon. I have been personally drinking a lot of gin in the days less gin than I did when Trump was president. You remember yeah. the days when Trump was president? Yep, yeah. I do. So I it seems like it was just yesterday. You, <laughs> it feels that way. But how do you, if you, if I say Trump to you, how do you feel now? Having uh, been a lifelong Trump student, follower? student of Trump. 
<laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, maybe follower is the wrong word. Yeah, I think student. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, observe, observer. You know, I, I, I mean, it's amazing to me. Of course, it, it was amazing to me beginning in December and certainly in January uh, that. I go hours without thinking about him. And like, here we are, it's whatever it is in the afternoon, late afternoon. I, may, I, I don't think I have thought about him until this second. Now that, of course, is amazing given these last five years, right? And so that's what I think is like, wow, Trump, uh, as opposed to not going literally an hour, maybe a half hour without thinking of him for four or five years. So that's what I think. Uh, um, yes, exactly. Oh, he, he would be fun. <laughs> you should have him on this. Um, uh, so I, I uh, you know, I, it's not like I, it, I never think about him, but I, I, I now at this point think more about what he has wrought, what he is a symptom of, the, 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 the cult members who can still cause a lot of trouble, all that. I, I don't, him, I hope, I think, I, there's a good chance that we don't have to think about him anymore until you know, the, the day when he gets indicted for this or that, or the day when he gets convicted of this or that. And, and that'll be, those will be happy days, you know? The book you wrote, Fantasyland, yeah. makes me, made me realize that we have, or it really brought it all together for me about what a delusional thinking, what delusional thinking has like this country been born out of. Yeah, and. Yep. Even with Mr. Trump, like the thing I think everyone should know about a book that came out in 2017 is a lot of, I think a lot of the people who wrote reviews were like, oh, um, this book really explains Trump to you. And it did, but it's even more relevant today because for the naive among us who thought, well, Trump's gone, all that sort right. of wacko thinking is right. gone. Well, it's and- all here. It is, and it's exactly, and it's not going away anytime soon. And and you know, I started. I mean, I've been thinking in one way or another about these ideas uh, for a long time, and and started writing the book in thinking about and writing the book in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, long before. I mean, Donald Trump, had he not decided in two thousand fifteen to run for president, might not have been mentioned in it. He might have been mentioned in passing, but probably not even. So here, and I finished it. Uh, it's 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 sub subtitle is a 500 year history. So it was this long long history of of America and and our weakness for exciting falsehoods of every kind, uh, uh, whether it's benign ones that come in entertainment form or malign ones that come in conspiracy theory or uh, all kinds of falsehood forms or a combination combo pack of religious fantasies. But um, I had finished it. I, I, I finished a draft in the spring of 2016 uh, before he was even nominated. But just as so, so it wasn't. Uh, I'm I, and I'm glad I did it when I did it. That my publisher encouraged me to do, to do this idea now, now being 2014. Because if I'd waited, it would have been like a reverse engineering of Donald Trump, right? Whereas I, luckily, through my you know dumb luck and good fortune finished it and then donald trump came along to prove my point <laughs> right it was like i'm no einstein marissa but it was like einstein <laughs> does his theory of relativity and then whatever happened to prove his thing a few years later in the heavens proved it right I, I feel like that about donald trump which is bad because then i i profited in every sense off of donald trump's nomination and election to the presidency but 
good. But 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 to your point, like it did, he, he didn't bring it on, and it ain't going away without him. And and I and I remember thinking, assuming as we all did in November of 2016, oh well, Hillary Clinton's going to be elected, but he got nominated, so that will help sort of prove my point about the weakness for fantastical delusional thinking and that it has infected and degraded the Republican party and on and on and on all these various points that aren't the main point of the book, but I make in at the end of the book. Well, uh, uh, that happened. And, 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 and he certainly gave it, you know, he, he gave it some turbocharging and, 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 and gave people, you know, a cult leader for this particular, uh, section right. of the fantasy land cult uh, or, or or inhabitants, his cult within the larger fantasy land, whatever it is, land. Um, uh, but you know, it, it, I I I saw it and described it and charted it before he came along, and which is the reason defeating him was necessary but not sufficient to like. Oh, now we're back to normal. We're all reasonable, rational people now. Well, obviously not. You know, no, because it. Um, in your, if you could like in about, I'll give you 30 seconds and you take me from the Puritans to Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> uh, well, you can, you can actually almost skip everything in between because uh, you know, you have Anne Hutchinson and kooky Puritans in the mid 17th century uh, with their cultish supernatural uh, beliefs and thinking that everybody is persecuting them. That is to say the church of England and people who live in cities and people who live in Europe and Catholics and everybody else. And, 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 and I can feel if you're godly or if you're in touch with God, or if you're, you know, mm -hmm. nutty, nuttiness. And by the way, the Puritans also believed that they were here to create the second Jerusalem and prepare for Christ's uh, return <laughs> and, and, and defeat the savages, which is to say na the native people who were Satan's minions. So, I mean, yes, I tell the whole story between them and, and, and Hutchinson of the Hutchinson, Hutchinson River Parkway fame. Um, but you can, you know, basically 350 years and you get to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, you know, I mean, basically, I mean, although it's funny that you mention her because somebody, and, and I'm thinking of Ann Hutchinson because somebody, some reader recently wrote me, I don't think it was you right now. Now I'm convicted. I'm, I'm, is it gin soaked raisins? Is that her? Or is that somebody else? It, it, no. So it's, somebody it's said, all me. somebody said, I was reading, I'm reading your book and, and boy, and, and, and Hutchinson sounds just like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, and I thought, well, that's really mean to Anne Hutchinson. Yes, she had some nuttiness, but, but no, she, 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 she earnestly believed all that she believed. Uh, um, she met a very ugly end being, being um, uh, killed by uh, natives. Uh, so, you know, history may repeat, uh, who knows? Um, but anyway, it, it's, 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 this, it's this American, thing in the American bloodstream, the American character from the 1600s on that I can believe whatever the fuck I want and you can't stop me. Um, and of course that's true and up to a point that's fine, but only up to a point. <laughs> right. And it's, it's not even about thinking, it's often about just feeling. It's, you know, mainly, I... it's mainly about just feeling and, and you see this and you see this when people describe it. No, I feel this. I feel this. And and recently, I I, I don't know if you saw this this long interview in profile of uh, Nikki Haley that she did in Political Magazine, um, mm -hmm. and 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 the reporter uh, to Alberta kept saying, "But 
don't you think it's terrible that you know it's the, this fake the election wasn't fake biden was elected and he kept saying this and her answer again and again and again was well he believed it well no but he believed it and she said that again and again as though well and delusion, eh, you can't criticize that. It's lies. If he didn't believe it and was saying it, like everyone else in the Republican Party, uh, then that would be bad. But no, he believes it. And there you have it. And, and, and there you have it with Trump and, and trying to parse out what is a lie? What is a delusional belief? What is some form of mental disorder? And it, with him, it's always some, in my view, combination of those three. And it's, and it's percentages of each. It's a, you know... Uh, you never know exactly. And uh, yeah, so that's where we are. And, but, and it was, and it was just, and, and my point is it was, uh, it was always a kind of chronic condition in America, but like kept in check by, not by medications uh, as, as chronic <laughs> conditions are, but by uh, norms and, and grownups being in charge and gatekeepers and, and, uh, and then, mm -hmm. you know, over, you know, fairly rapidly and in an accelerating way over the last, 40 or 50 years, it got out of control and here we are. Right, and we have, we, we have to acknowledge people on CNN, if I'm producing a segment, that um, believe that climate change isn't real yeah. and believe um, that uh, Donald Trump is the next coming of Jesus or that Marjorie Taylor Greene believes whatever it is she believes. The idea of feeling and that feelings are enough um, came home to me thanks to you, not just Fantasyland, but because of a Studio 360 episode, which I think about more now than I think about Donald Trump, which is the episode that you did about Wild Bill, Bill Coat, Buffalo Bill, and the birth to me of American patriotism, this idea of this cowboy being created, the white cowboy being created out of, you know, a stage show. And yet I can go now to Kentucky and see a, like I've been to, you know, a horse show in Kentucky and it opens with a cowboy on a horseback with just the rain in one hand and an American flag in the other. And I'm proud to be an American blaring in the background. And I think to myself, but it's all made up. It's all made up. It's all made up. Yeah. And so much of like what went on January 6th is because of this, I think the word is for cocked a notion of patriotism and what it is. Well, for that, that, outs that outs that outs me as a Jew and uh, yeah, but but media, but so having 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 lived in New York uh, for uh, forty five <laughs> years, and I use fakakta and and I don't know twenty other Yiddish words uh, all the time as though they're my own. So I am a cultural appropriator. Can you get? Will you give me permission to be one? Um, fine, but uh, fine. Uh, yeah, no, it is it is this. We are we we have always been. I mean, every country has its myths that they that they you know accept and enact to various degrees we've always had a special uh weakness for them um that as i say has we has recently gotten out of control where the where this these lines between fiction and reality just became dangerously blurry you know i mean it's one thing yeah buffalo bill 
by the way, doing that Studio 360 piece was didn't lead me exactly to write Fantasyland, but it was it was a it was a you know a part of my work on the book before I realized I was writing a book. He was an amazing character, um, and uh, just amazing in all senses. But uh, it, the, the, it, that was kept in its place. It was the Buffalo. It was Buffalo Bill's Wild West. He would do his thing, and it would made yes, totally fictionalized version of of the settling of the of America and all the rest. But then, of course, uh, got for instance, got lots of native people to be in the show with him, including for a while, Sitting Bull, a guy who had recently killed his pal, George Armstrong Custer. I mean, the, the mixing of reality and fiction was amazing 150 years ago. And so when we end up with Donald Trump, a t television guy playing a, uh, playing in a successful businessman and he becomes president, well, durr, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've, been, we've, been, we've been leading up to that for a long, long time. So uh, yeah, and it's it's and it's it's uh, you know I didn't really start with this like unified field theory of of what happened to America, but <laughs> but that's it. But it but it but it uh, it came to seem like one once I sort of plunged into reading and thinking and uh, and so, and now I need a drink. No, and good thing that's my <laughs> part of this operation is making a drink. <laughs> Yes, yeah, can you do? You, are you a perfectionist? At are you very very good at the um, martini? I'm a. And well, you're only. A, are you I'm, a gin? You're only a gin guy. I, I lately I wasn't always, and it goes again. It goes back to my father and the sardines. Uh, uh, I uh, my father liked uh, he he drank scotch, but he liked gin, and he and he liked martinis, and I and I tasted it, you know, as one does when one's a kid. Ooh, yeah, uh, okay. you know, and. Uh, <laughs> But he, but also speaking of food, um, he was a big fan. He was a big fan of sweetbreads, and I thought, oh, well, that's I disgusting. But <laughs> but uh, he he died fairly young, not too young, but mm, exactly the age I am now. Um, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> and and after he died, I, I at, at Michael's restaurant, the the media restaurant in Manhattan that I used to go to a lot. They I once. Uh, my dad likes sweetbreads. I'm going to order sweetbreads, and I realized what have I been depriving myself all the all my life? These are fantastic, um, and uh, th that's Be a thing because the, because of brown butter. Well, of course, that's really I of mean, course, and 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 a little bit of friedness. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. It's no. The, Otherwise, they're they're not that much. They're they're basically you know the 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 mammal version of sea scallops. But 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 if you, but 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 if you have some friedness on them, they're good. They're great, and and they were the ones I would have at, at Michael's were really great. So that is a thing because the, the the cook in this house hasn't made them and probably wouldn't because she's not a fan. Um, uh, that's something I can't wait to have along with the gin and 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 indoor restaurant dining uh, post pandemic. But. Uh, uh, so I, I, I was not a gin person or a sweetbreads person until relative, you know, like the last decade or so. I mean, I would, I would have gin and tonics sometimes, but it wasn't like my drink and, and, and gin martinis, uh, d became my, my drink, uh, certainly my summer drink, um, <laughs> or, or now, summer drink. or, or now, uh, uh, <laughs> a, a while ago. And, uh, I, 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 I like gin gimlets as well. I, and I, I, I I, I now I that has morphed into having uh, uh, 
you know, soda water gimlets a lot, which is to say, you know, roses, lime and seltzer. But yeah, I like, I do like gin and I like, I like in in this, you know, artisanal Brooklyn-y age of a thousand different little gins being made now. I kind of like that. I don't, I don't study them and, but, but when at a, at a, at a, Brooklyn restaurant, somebody says, would you like the top hat cat or would you like the, you know, Mr. Tuscan Bridgewater? And I said, oh yeah, the Miss Tuscan Bridgewater. Um, and, and, and I like, cause they, they do taste, um, you know, they're as different in tastes as, as, you know, scotches uh, or more even, I think. So I like even that more. aspect. And uh, so, no, I have become a, I've become a, you know, a gin guy. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have, can, and uh, and can you make me a martini? I will make you a martini. I, I guess I don't have. We're not on TV, so I can move out of the picture, and it's okay, right? You sure no? can. But I'll, I gotta, I'll I gotta, take. I gotta hold this, right? <laughs> I can tell people. I'll be right Anderson back. Is now moving away from the picture. So you can describe what I'm doing. Here, here I am I with an actual cocktail shaker. A beautiful shiny silver cocktail shaker. I don't think there are any water spots on it. I think it's beautifully uh, polished. It's pretty. It's okay. And uh, so, well, I I I I I actually got out. I thought, oh, well, I can just make a martini. Or I was thinking, well, there's there's some Campari. I could do a Negroni. Your call. Oh, Negroni. I would say um, Negroni because I think I need the um, the oomph. The, I need the herbs, the extra herbs, because of my. It's a spring tonic. Yeah, no, that, it is springy. And today is a very, very springy day. Ann and I just went out for a three and a half mile walk along our road here in uh, in Northwest Connecticut. And man, it was like, not literally, obviously the first day of spring, but it felt like a first day of spring, you know? The things are starting to turn light green Correct. places. Um, shoots are coming up. Now, and I've decided now that after you have the first gin, this is going quickly downhill, everybody. Uh, the first gin raisin, the other ones go down much more easily. You don't there get you. that same shock of alcohol. There you go. So bye. Yeah. So let me see what you're doing there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, so yeah, I may, I may have not enough. Well, who cares if it's a small one, mm -hmm. right? So I, I'm going to finish this bottle of Hendrix. And Hendrix is, for people who haven't had it, it's, 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 a, it's, it's expensive, but it's a, it's, it's a good, unalarming, uh, it's not so weird in its flavors that like, yeah, do I want that every time I have a drink? I don't think so. As some of these cute artisanal yep. batches are. It's not, but it's it's more interesting to me than Bombay, which which is my other default go-to or Tanqueray or whatever. So that's what that's what Hendrix is. And it does have this cool bottle that makes you feel like you're, you know, I don't know, in England yeah, in the 19th century or 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 doing something fun. Uh it, there's a there's, it has a, a, there's sort a, of apothecary quality to it exactly you know? no there's I mean, and of course the whole cocktail thing which again i haven't gotten into my children have one of my children especially uh but i get it and i could imagine if i had been turned 20 in you know 2008 i i would have become a big cocktail <laughs> person in the way that they have um but it has that it has that kind of i don't know cosplay theatricality this this <laughs> hendrix bottle does and so you just, whoa, no, there's plenty here. There's plenty here. It just- <laughs> That sounded be, like a lot, actually. Well, because the bottle is very thick, you never know. The, the, it, it's almost like a, I guess it's glass, but it could be clay practically. It's so thick, you don't know, and you can't look because it's black. So I, I like that too. It's a surprise. How much gin <laughs> is in here? So anyway, it's about, it's about a, 
you know, do we still have shot glasses? Is that still a measure in cocktail yes, land? Yes, we definitely do. Jiggers. I eat jiggers. That this is about one and a half. I like uh, it. <laughs> so, and since I, I I don't often, but I have made Negronis, and I'm glad you pushed me to, you know, the edge of my yeah. comfort zone and competency to make a Negroni rather than a martini. Um, I'm glad I could do that for you. And uh, the trick. That's why I'm I, here. The tr the trick when I made them. I mean, unlike driver vermouth, which of course is the is the thing you put into martinis almost as a kind of you know, as people make jokes about, just like waving it over all that. I do put vermouth, but but a very, very little. I, and when I order martinis in restaurants, I, I always say dry martini and Anne always correctly pipes in a very dry martini because otherwise it tastes like vermouth. I mean, a very, a lot of vermouth, a little vermouth goes a long way. Whereas Negroni, you want it to be, you know, half flavored like Campari, right? You know, so, mm -hmm. but... Again, I, I guess I will use um, this jiggerish top of the uh, cocktail mm. shaker, and and I'm putting in. I don't know. We'll see how it works. But this is what what I would usually do: is put in half of that into my, I don't know, what two and a half, two or three ounces of gin, and then yep. uh, and then just uh, leave you for a moment while I go get ice so I can shake shake it and have that audio experience for your for your listeners. And while Kurt is off getting ice for that, I'm just continuously popping gin-soaked raisins into my mouth. It's a very easy recipe, which I'll feature on my, I was just telling everybody, and if anybody's listening, that the um, gin-soaked raisins will be featured on my um, blog later because, or my website, because they're so simple to make and yet so easy to eat. And, and would be impressive and cool. And and has this backstory of a lady who's still alive, living to 170, eating nine of them a day. I've started giving them in the past week to people who's uh, for their birthday. Oh, that's nice. With the story of the 109-year-old woman. That's nice. Huh. So here, you know, live long and prosper. And um, uh, raisins. Yeah. Uh, it's okay, so we've got the ice. So we have the ice, ice we have the ice and, and I, you know, I do it. I mean, uh, I, I like the, whether it's gin or, or this red thing, this Negroni, I like, <laughs> I like it. I, I put in enough ice so you can just, so that the top is mostly ice, but you can see the, but it's like a, like a breaking up polar ice cap. You can see the, the, the sea of gin and, and Campari just so you, below. So you believe the polar ice caps are actually breaking up then? Oh, some, some people believe that, <laughs> um, but I don't think humans had anything to do with it. Uh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Angry polar bears. Okay. Um, so now you're so then, it up and then, the, and again, I mean, I do, I like the way gin tastes. I like the, the purity of a gin martini. And by the way, one of these stupid things I think, but I really do think like, don't call a vodka martini a martini. Just order vodka. But anyway, um, uh, one of the reasons I like cocktails at all, and my only cocktail I, the, that I regularly make really is, is, is the martini. I love shaking it. I love hearing. <laughs> I love doing this. I love, I love that I feel like Fred Astaire. I love the sound of it, like I'm about to throw the dice on the backgammon board. Uh, and I love, I love that the ice, the uh, sh uh, shaker 
is getting really frigid and, and frosty and almost too hard and too cold for me to hold. Uh, I love everything about it. And I want to point out, you're doing a one-handed shake, which is very, like, it's very strong. You know, you've got the shaker in the one hand. I would have to do the two-handed sort well, of there you more go. like. It's a, it's a gender, of. it's a gendered thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I guess I am a man like after all. I cook, but I, <laughs> I, I, I do cocktail shaking one-handed. Okay. The, uh, but I don't want to sit here too long because the ice will start to melt into it. We, and and I, need, I need to pour it. Now, you're the I was thinking of you a, a little more like Topper than Fred Astaire. Okay. Sure. Can it be the Topper, the guy, the Topper in the movie, not, not Leo G. Carroll, Topper in the TV show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Okay. The movies. Uh, it's definitely uh, the movie. What, uh, what, what, what kind of glass should I use for this? Oh, I would use a tall glass for a Negroni. Oh, really? A long, tall glass with, or a with, short the, one. with the ice. And, and I guess you don't strain out the ice, right? I, I ha I've done it both ways. I would probably put it on ice, but that's because it's just before five o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, then I will do that. But if, but if it's summertime, maybe just, yeah, a rock. I'd put a rock in. Okay, I'll do that. Now I get to strain it, which is, of course, the other fun part of the martini is straining. So. Definitely. Uh, and now it just looks like a kitty drink, drinking the One taste, though, and it is not like Hawaiian Punch. Yeah. A drink I haven't had in a long time, and I think I would like the Hawaiian Punch still. Um, I like I okay. Hawaiian Punch as a kid. We didn't have it much, and it was kind of a treatish thing, but I liked it. And before I forget, I, I want you to try it uh, because you've got the you've got the Parmesan cheese there and the uh, gin-soaked raisins. I'm thinking gin-soaked raisins plus cheese would be a great sweet, savory alcoholic combo you know <laughs> i have a small i've put a small um bit of cheese in the palm of my hand and i've now put one golden raisin on top and i will see let you know how it goes okay it's a great combination because you get the super salty nutty of the parmesan and then you get that burst of alcoholic sweetness which is how i like to think of myself in about three hours there you go yes and you've got that sweet and you've got that salty <laughs> nutty part of you too <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, was it so that, that we were talking about the other day, but now we've done it improvisationally, this combination of sweet and salty. What, when did that become like a major, uh, you know, cool food theme? I, I feel like it was what, 10 years ago. Was it longer? I think it was about 10 years ago. And I, I probably, if I were going to track it down, I would track it down to the salted caramel phase of eating. Yeah. Right. Suddenly chocolate started appearing with a little bit of like gray sea salt on top of it, yeah. you know, sel gris or, uh, you know, and we could get, people would get, got fancy that way. Then people started really getting into pink Himalayan sea, uh, Himalayan salt. So the salts got famous at this and posh at the same time, right. people started sprinkling it on uh, chocolate chip cookies um, and brownies. I'm, and, and I'm all, and, and I'm, I'm all for all of that. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, like anything like that, you can overdo it and you'll get sick of it or tired of it or whatever. But so far, I don't have it often enough that every time I have like a good chocolate chip cookie with a little salt on it. Mm -mm. No, it's a very good thing. And, uh, and I'm pointing at my freezer at the moment. Sea salt caramel ice creams are like packing the frozen food shelves right now. And they're really good. Really? Oh, I will have to try that. Is that right? Any particular brands or yes. just? Uh, I think my one of my brothers would go for Van Lurie. 
That's the sound you make after you've had a lot of gin soaked raisins when you try to speak Dutch. You haven't had a lot. You've had like Lewin. three, maybe, you know. <laughs> I'm, but I'm only two feet tall. That's um, right. I'd like to know and, how many gin soaked raisins it would actually take you to be drunk. Like nine? Maybe more than nine, right? I mean, how many gin soaked raisins yeah. does it take to get Marissa well, on I, the couch? In order, to, in order um, to start catching up with you a little bit, I'm going to have my gin soaked Campari, i.e., Negroni. Tell us what the first taste is like. Hmm, it's it's great, you know. I mean, and then the question always becomes: Is it is it flavored gin or is it Negroni with a kick, <laughs> or is it Campari with more of a kick, with more alcohol? And it's one of those you know uh, Zen Cohens that one could you know uh, uh, contemplate at Harry's bar for into the wee hours one night. I I think on that note I will bite into my um, anchovy butter toast. I so want that. On one side. I so want that. I, I, with when a can they have yeah. bit of boiled egg? Oh really? You have and boiled egg? And I'd like to point there? out that to anybody, there's a boiled egg on top, and I want you to note it's from my suburban neighbor's chickens because here really? we are. I like we that. Have reached I, I like I like I like people who have. I mean, uh, suburban chickens is is a fine thing. On that note with my mouth full of anchovy butter, which is really not as pleasant as you want it to be. It is flat tasting. And really, I think a little bit of the meow mix crushed into the butter would have really? been a much better option. So, so, so yeah. Blair or whatever that cat's name is, gets it, gets the whole thing, right? What, what is the cat's That's name? Exactly Clyde? Right. What, is, what is its name? Clyde. We have a Clyde and oh. Calvin. Oh. Clyde gets all of the anchovy butter. Um, I'm going to wash it down with a gin-soaked raisin, and I'm going to raise my gin-soaked raisin to you and say thank you so much for coming oh, this, on the this, show today. This, this was uh, it was my pleasure, and and uh, almost almost because food and drink was involved, and uh, as close to a, like a actually getting together as digital life in a pandemic can provide. Exactly. Thank you so much, Kurt Anderson. Uh, I'll talk totally to you soon, fun. and I recommend everyone. Please, please read Fantasy Land. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. A big thank you to Mr. Kurt Anderson. For good things to do with mayonnaise, gin, and raisins, go to my website, marissarothkopf.com. Follow me on Instagram. And hey, you know, I even have a Substack. Thanks for your support. And please be so kind as to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.